Let's thank God for 127, along with the Wizzy Captured Band. Done a great job. Y'all go ahead and be seated. What about our Life Fest crew? Uh, our red shirts, that's uh, our students who have been out, uh, uh, been this weekend to uh, Life Fest. And I think the last report that I got, there were three uh, individuals who came to know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior through Life Fest. And isn't that great? Thank you, Jason and the team working so hard. Uh, for that uh, wonderful ministry, um, as uh, obviously we're doing communion today, y'all y'all knew that right? Y'all got the clue? Y'all got the clue? We're doing communion. Here's how you know we're doing communion. You know we're doing communion not because there's a table out front, but because you have all these guys on the front row in suits and ties, and that will only happen a if we're doing communion. If we're not doing communion, they're up on the front row. That means they're after me. So y'all just, uh, anyway, we're, we're so thankful that we have the privilege as a church to gather together around the Lord's table. But I want you to uh, understand that this is not merely some ritual tradition that we follow. Uh, if that's all it is for you today, it doesn't do you a bit of good. Uh, there are some who the only time they come to this worship gathering is for communion. And, and it makes me sad. It makes me sad because somehow they've missed either the idea of what worship is corporately or they have missed the idea of what communion is corporately. What we need to understand is that this meal has absolutely no significance whatsoever apart from who the meal represents and our allegiance to him and our following him and our worship of him. I, I, I think that uh, one aspect of our journey today and as we prepare for communion, as you prepare your heart, as we prepare our hearts as a church, I, I, think, I think one of the most elemental things that we can do is just understand what it is that we celebrate here. Um, in Ephesians chapter 1, and I, I want to encourage all of you, uh, if you don't have your Bible, you don't have New King James Version uh, a copy of scripture. There are Bibles in the pew racks in front of you, or you can get it on your version or a Bible app on your smartphone. If you would go and get that New King James Version and turn to Ephesians chapter 1. The reason I'm asking you to do it in New King James is because in a moment, I'm going to ask us all to stand, and we're going to read Ephesians chapter 1, verses 3 through 8 together before we take communion. And, and so it, it's always helpful if you're reading from the same uh, same page, you know, singing from the same sheet of music, that kind of thing. So, uh, so uh, New King James Version is what I'm using in a moment, uh, and I say a moment as if that were just like two or three minutes away. No, it's a little bit longer. It's a pastor moment. So that'll be a little bit longer than just two or three minutes. But, but before we actually take communion together, uh, we're going to stand together and we're going to read Ephesians chapter 1, verses 3 through 8. God bless that was a sneeze. That's Miss Talk. You are fine. In fact, 
You can sneeze like that anytime you want to. Love you, dear. All right. Ephesians chapter 1. Now, just follow along so you get used to, to what the message is, all right? Ephesians chapter 1, beginning verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love, in love having predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ, to himself according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise and the glory of his grace, by which he made us accepted in the beloved. Verse 7. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sin, according to the riches of his grace, which he made to abound toward us in wisdom, in all wisdom and prudence. As we look at these verses, I, I, I think... The picture here is Paul as he's sitting uh, in a prison cell. I mean, he's going through some pretty tough times. And he's sitting there in a prison cell and he's thinking about about believers in Rome. Now, just think, outside the the walls of his cell, um, everybody's going through their normal routine. And, and while people are scurrying up and down the, the, the streets of Rome, Paul is sitting there in the prison cell. Now, the people outside the cell, they're, they're thinking, uh, what, what, what am I going to have for lunch today? And they're thinking, I wonder if I can make it to Chick-fil-A and get some sweet iced tea before work or before I go home or as a little snack between dinner. Now they're, they're thinking in terms of, uh, I, I wonder if, I wonder if my, my, my husband picked up the cleaning today. Or calling your wife, can you stop and pick up some milk? If you have children, it's the normal everyday thoughts of, I wonder where my children are. And what they're doing. And with whom they are doing it. Or if you're a child and you have parents, I wonder if my parents know where I am. And whom I am with, with whom I am. (laughs) That doesn't even sound right, does it? That's proper grammar, with whom I am. Uh, I wonder if they know who I'm with and what I'm doing. I I, I think those everyday thoughts, uh, some, maybe everyday thoughts, my, my spouse just had a heart attack. My wife found out she has cancer. Heavy stuff. But you know, when we have difficulties in our life, for some, they may look at my difficulties and they say, well, that's just a hangnail. Well, it may just be a hangnail, but it sure does feel a lot heavier than a hangnail to me sometimes. You know what I'm talking about? We go through our days and we wonder how do we navigate through those, those heavy moments and those difficulties and those struggles and the questions and the problems and, and all that is wrapped up in our everyday life. And, 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 and as all the people outside of Paul's prison 
cell were thinking those things. Paul's in the prison cell, but he's unencumbered from those heavy thoughts. I mean, think of it. Here he is. He's waiting trial to be killed. That, that's his reality. In, in, in Philippians, which is about the same time, in Philippians, he said, I don't know whether I'm going to live or whether I'm going to die, but if I die, it is, it is my gain because I'm going to heaven. If I, if I live, it's to your gain because I'll hang out with you a little bit longer. And, and so Paul, Paul was, was facing the heaviest of all heavy circumstances, but he wasn't living in the poor, pitiful me, oh, woe is me kind of mentality. He was literally in prison, not metaphorically. And yet, he had a perspective. And so he began to think about his friends in other churches, other places, friends that, 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 that were close to him, the believers in Ephesus. And this is the church that, that he last spent time with before he went to Jerusalem and was arrested. This, this is the, the family of faith that he had connected himself to, not just for a moment, not just for a, 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 a passing through kind of church planting movement. He was there with them, and he planted his life with them. He loved them. They loved him. And, and so here he's in prison. He's not thinking about himself. He's thinking about friends in Ephesus. And so he wants, them to, he wants them to experience more than just the difficulties of everyday life. He wants them to taste the fullness of pleasure that God has to offer as followers of Christ. So he begins to write this praise to the king. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us with every spiritual uh, blessing in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be uh, holy and without blame before him in love, and in love having predestined us to adoption as sons and daughters so that we might be accepted in the beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sin, according to the riches of his grace." You know, what, what's Paul getting at here? I, I, think, I think what he's getting at is something that we're going to do here in a moment. And that's we need to celebrate how Jesus has changed our life. I, just keep things simple. And I know I'm a preacher and, and I got a Ph.D. in something, my daughter says. I, she doesn't know what I have a Ph.D. in. And that's fine. I mean, I don't. I never use it. If I tried to get a job with the Ph.D. I have, that, I'd be a long search, right? Um, and PhD, postmodernism. I mean, who in the world wants to hire anybody with a PhD in postmodernism, right? Huh? Anyway, so so here I am. I I I know I've got all these words and everything. I just want to keep it simple. You know what communion is? Communion is celebrating Jesus changing my life. That's what it comes down to. It's you and me gathered together and corporately celebrating how Jesus has changed our life. Do you know what the the basis of unity is for this church? Do you, do you know what it is? It's not uh, me standing up here. It, it's, it's not the building in which we meet. It, it's not the songs that we sing or the way we sing songs. If any of these things becomes the foundation of our unity, our unity will crack and break. 
The Bible's really clear on what creates the unity of the church. That's what we're about to celebrate. We're a group of people that Jesus has changed our lives. And so we want to celebrate that. So as Paul is writing, he wants, he wants to write to us today. And, and before we take communion, we need, to, we need to get in our heads and our hearts. Listen, we need to get in our heads and our hearts. The reason we are here, it is not simply to go through motions of church or to pretend like we're religious people. We're here to celebrate that Jesus has changed my life. We're here to celebrate together. Jesus has changed our lives. But maybe, perhaps, we lose that because we forget the way we were. And maybe we need to take a moment and just remember the way we are, were. Yeah, you, even Barbara Streisand wanted to take some time and re, you know, the, talk about the way we were. How many of y'all know that Barbara Streisand sang a song? The way we were, could it be that things were all so simple then? Huh? Uh, crickets. There were crickets, actually crickets chirping over here. Um, <laughs> that's bad. Thanks, Doc. It, if, it, so, some of you deacons, y'all should have protected me. Y'all heard me jump toward that path at the 9.30 service, y'all should have stopped me quickly. Um, anyway, we need to remember the way we were. And how were we? We were dead. We were swirling in the miry swamp of our own misery. We were uh, living each moment with the stench of decay and death saturating our soul. We, we would wake up in the morning with with with, uh, uh, with no more hope than the despair we had the day before. We would go to bed at night with nothing but the tears of our troubles uh, soaking our, our pillows. We, we were empty. We were incomplete. We weren't, we weren't trying to be better. We didn't have any hope to get better. We had no hope at all. We were living without hope because we were living without God in this world. And, 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 and hope seemed like the morning mist that burned away so quickly in the summer sun. We, 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 we were living without joy. We were living without peace. We were living without purpose. But more than all of that, we were enslaved in our sin. Our sin had locked us in a prison cell that we could not escape. And we were stuck in the stench of death. And we had no hope of escape. That's the way we were. The Bible says that our sin had locked us up. And thrown away the key. Empty. A big black hole in the middle of our soul. And friends, that can't be fixed by being better. That can't be fixed by attending a church service. That can't be fixed by taking bread and, and drinking some juice. That can't be fixed by anything that we do. Only Jesus can change us from being in prison because only Jesus can set us free. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Why? Because in Him we possess 
redemption. Jesus sets the prisoners free. Jesus makes dead people live. Jesus takes you and he takes me in the swallowed up uh, death, death, uh, death kind of uh, death dirge kind of living with, with the litany of loneliness in our hearts. And, and he takes us and he, and he shows us how that we can be set free. And we can be set free only one way. Jesus giving us the redemption we need. The picture of redemption is the picture of someone who pays the debt that I owe. You and I owe a debt. Our sin demands payment. And the payment that your sin and mine demands is wrath, death, blood, judgment. That's what we deserve. Look, nobody here deserves anything less than hell. I want you to hear that because somewhere we get lost in all of our, well, you know, I'm a good person. I've always been a good person. I've always believed in God. Okay, whatever. The Bible's clear. There's not one person in this room who deserves anything less than hell. You don't deserve heaven. Neither do I. I deserve punishment. I deserve hell. I'm empty. I'm incomplete. I'm locked in a prison. I'm sitting on the chopping block. I'm waiting for the hammer to fall. That's what I deserve because of my sin. But in him, we have redemption. Why? Jesus came to take our place on the chopping block. We have rescued. Jesus came to pay the debt that I owe. And how did he pay that debt? Through his blood. We have redemption through his blood. Jesus died in my place so that I might live. We celebrate. Jesus has come to set a captive free. We should be celebrating that each week. Every time we get together, that's what we should be celebrating. That should be our focus. Not all, not all these other penny-ante kind of things that don't matter for eternity. Our focus needs to be, Jesus has set me free. My goodness, I want to celebrate him. Amen. Communion returns our focus to this truth, this fundamental, basic truth of who we are, First Norfolk. We're a bunch of people whose lives have been changed by Jesus. We were locked in the cell of our sin, and Jesus has set us free. He paid the price my sin demanded by his blood so that I might have the key of forgiveness that would unlock the cell of my sin and set me free. I've been forgiven the the slate has been wiped clean. The record has been erased. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. I've been set free. Not only has Jesus set us free, we have victory because Jesus has set us free. He's changed my life. I'm no longer stuck in the guilt and the shame and the pain of my sin. I'm no longer under the dominion and the power and the rule of sin. 
I've been set free. The cell has been shattered. The bars have been broken. Death is defeated and I can live. This is what Jesus has done. He set me free. We celebrate Jesus has set us free, but we also celebrate that Jesus moves us from the rags of our sin to the riches of God's grace. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sin according to the riches of God's grace, which he has made abound toward us in all wisdom and prudence. God in his great wisdom said, you know what I'm going to do? Not only am I going to shake loose the hold of sin from their soul through Jesus, but Jesus is going to come and he's going to make them wealthy, overflowingly abounding in my grace. God's grace. God's grace is what gives us hope in the face of difficult circumstances. It's God's grace that gives us courage in the face of fearsome foes. It's God's grace that gives us confidence that even in the midst of my continually continuing failure, he still holds me as his beloved. He still accepts me into his family. It's God's grace that empowers me. It's God's grace that equips me. It's God's grace that propels me and pushes me forward so that I can live with hope and joy and purpose. It is God's grace that satisfies my soul. It's not my work. I don't know about y'all. Can I talk for a second? This is just going to be real for just a moment. I'll get back into preacher mode in a second. But the truth is, I really work hard at doing everything right. I do. I work hard at doing everything right. But I don't do everything right. And I'm telling you, if I depended on satisfaction from how much I do right and how little I do wrong, I would be a very dissatisfied soul. But because my dependence, my my satisfaction is not dependent upon how much I do right and how little I do wrong, my satisfaction is based in one place, and that is the grace of the living God brought to me by Jesus Christ that sets me free to live faithfully, courageously, even in the face of my mistakes and in the moments of my lapse, I can still have confidence that God is showering me and empowering me and equipping me and setting me loose by his grace to serve his purpose. What about you? You might say, well, I don't feel much of God's grace. Might might I suggest that if you're not, and and I don't feel much of God's grace. I don't feel a lot of God's grace. Well, feelings aren't everything. Just say that first. Feelings aren't everything. But because I, 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 I am a dad to four daughters, I realize that feelings are something. And it's taken me a while to get there, but feelings are something. You say, I don't feel God's grace. Okay, you don't feel it. All right, let's start there. Let's do what the Bible says 
to get us to a place where we feel God's grace. As a follower of Jesus, you say, I don't feel God's grace. All right, well, what's keeping you from feeling God's grace? Well, the Bible says in three different places, one verse quoted three different times, first in Proverbs 3, second in uh, James chapter 4, and third in 1 Peter chapter 5. In those three places, one verse simply says, God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. Maybe there's a point of pride in your own life where you're exalting yourself above the will and the way and the word of God, and that's why you don't feel God's grace. You're living in the poverty of your own pride rather than the riches of God's grace. And maybe that's just it. And and if it is, could I suggest that you want to feel God's grace, then do what the Bible says. Humble yourself before the Lord. You humble yourself. Maybe, just maybe, the reason you feel no grace at all or so little grace is because you're not humble. I, I can say with absolute certainty that the biggest struggles in my life with sin deal with me being personally prideful and not humble. And guys, that's not a personality trait. That is the spiritual battle of every person who is a follower of Jesus Christ. If you don't think you have a problem with pride, then your pride's already got hold of you. So we got to humble ourselves. To humble yourself, in James chapter 4, I love James chapter 4 because it really spells out what it means to humble yourself. God resists the proud, gives grace to the humble, so how am I going to be humble? Well, he goes on in verse 7, he says, that's James chapter 4, verse 6, God resists the proud, gives grace to the humble. Verse 7, he writes, he says, submit to God. That means get under the leadership of God. Stop pretending like you can live life your own way and it'll be okay. Submit to God. Resist the devil and he'll flee from you. Draw near to God and he'll draw near to you. Well, not only should we submit to God, get under God's leadership, but secondly, we've got, to, we've, got to, we've, got to, we've got to draw near to God. By the way, when you draw near to God, you're resisting the devil. You're not going to draw near to God and, and, and not resist the devil. When you're drawing near to God, the devil begins to flee. Make no mistake. This is the way it works. It's like polar opposites in mag- magnetic world, whatever that looks like. You know, I mean, where you have those or the same whatever. You know, you, have, you turn a magnet over to one side and it pushes the other magnet away rather than attracting it. Push it. That, that is a thing still, isn't it? They didn't change that rule. Polarity, you know, is it whatever. I don't want to get lost in there. But anyway, uh, when you're drawing near to God, the devil is beginning to flee. And maybe, just maybe, you're drawing near to your friends and you're ne- drawing near to even your feelings, but you're not drawing near to God. You want to draw near to God. That's how you f- sense God's grace because you're humbling yourself. And, and draw near to God. Lament and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your, and your uh, joy to gloom. Cleanse your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded man. All that's about repentance and maybe... When it all comes down to it, you just need to repent. Stop fighting God because of your pride. It's not working for you. I don't even have to know your situation. I know it's not working for you. The Bible says it won't. You want to feel the, uh, the, taste the full flavor of God's favor and grace in your life, then, then maybe you just need to humble yourself in the sight of the Lord so that he can lift you up. 
So in a moment when we take communion together, I just want to invite you. Before you take the bread and take the cup, I want to invite you to humble yourself before the Lord. In order for celebration to to seep into our soul, we need to remember where we were before we met Jesus. We need to see how Jesus has changed our life, the victory that he's given us, how that he has set us free from the power, dominion, and the curse of sin, and how he he has immersed us. He's taken us from the rags of our sin and immersed us in the riches of God's grace so that we live an empowered, satisfied, fulfilled life. And that's what we're celebrating here. In shorthand, we're celebrating the gospel, the good news that Jesus has changed our life through his death on the cross and his resurrection from the dead. So before we do that, I'm going to ask you to stand. Ephesians chapter 1. We're going to read this together. All of us standing, all of us Reading together, Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1, beginning in verse 3. And the Bible says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, That we should be holy and without blame, having predestined us according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace. In him, the forgiveness of sin. both which are in heaven and which are on earth in him. In him also we have obtained an inheritance, being predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who first trusted in Christ should be to the praise of his glory. Amen. Because y'all, we were going to stop at verse 8, but you just kept on rolling. Amen. Let's pray together. Father, right now, thank you for your word. Now, as we prepare to take communion together, help for us to celebrate what you have provided for us. And it's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.